Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 38 of Revelation chapter 11. And we're continuing to read Revelation 11, verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. In our last study, we were looking at the um, statement that God's wrath had come and the time of the dead. And we saw numerous places, numerous Bible verses, where when God uses the word dead, he has in mind those that are spiritually dead. And judgment began again on May 21, 2011, and that began the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And it's a judgment on all of the unsaved people of the earth that are dead in spirit. And and as a matter of fact, if we think about it, the reason that this is such a grievous and horrible judgment upon them, that, that is, the, the judgment of God shutting the door of heaven and ending his salvation program, is precisely because they are dead in spirit. It, it, if they were not dead in spirit, then it, it would not be um, a terrible judgment for them. But since they are dead in spirit, spiritually dead, the judgment is super awful because it has guaranteed it has locked in their spiritual condition and established it so that it cannot be changed as revelation 22 tells us that this is a time when the righteous will be righteous still that is those that god has saved and made righteous through the atoning work of the lord jesus christ they are righteous and considered righteous, and the filthy will be filthy still. Uh, the the great gulf has been established and fixed, and and now not one can go from hence to them, and they cannot go from where they are to where the believers are within the kingdom of heaven. There is no transference, no uh, being translated out of darkness into light anymore. And it is the time of the dead that they should be judged. Now, the, the Greek word here that's translated as judged is krino. It's Strong's number 2919. And it's translated as um, several different English words. And these different English words help us to form a better understanding of what the Greek word krino means. This is why it's such a blessing 
that we have concordances, that God has uh, provided uh, concordances and, and Bible helps for us to be able to search the scriptures, comparing scripture with scripture, so that the Bible can define its own terms. Now, what does God mean by the word judge? The time of the dead that they should be judged. What does that word mean? What does crino mean? Well, let's look at several places. In Luke chapter 7, in Luke 7, we... Fine, uh, beginning in verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And that's our word, crino. And th- this is interesting because Simon is basically discerning in this parable that the Lord has given him in selecting the correct choice, the correct answer. And, and Jesus confirms you are correct regarding this question when two Men are forgiven their debt, and one owes much and the other owes less. Uh, Then who will love more? And Simon responded that the one to whom he forgave most, and Jesus answered, Thou hast rightly judged. See, here we see that making a judgment is, in this case, between Two options, two choices. One is true, one is false. One is correct, the other incorrect. One, therefore, is good and the other bad. And the judgment um, is is just to properly respond in answer to the question asked. And so here judgment has to do with discerning the truth or discerning the proper answer. And, uh, well, let, let's go some other places. And I think uh, the more verses we look at, the clearer that our understanding of uh, Crino will come into view. And, and therefore, um, what God is talking about when he says it's the time of the dead that they should be judged. In Acts 3, in verse 13, it says, There the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob... The God of our fathers hath glorified his son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. The the English word determine is our word. And we we can see how this is. Uh, What if it said when he was judged to let him go? That as Pilate had Jesus brought before him as Christ was delivered unto him for judgment. And Pilate had him, um, he asked the Lord questions as Pilate sat upon the seat of judgment. And what was Pilate attempting to do? To determine 
his guilt or his innocence. And that is what a judge does. Now, we're so accustomed, we're so used, uh, we're, we're trained to think uh, concerning the Bible, when we see the word judge or judgment, that it has to do with wrath. It has to do with God um, pouring out punishment. That is, we immediately uh, relate the word judgment or judge to punishment. And yet that's not always the case. The judgment is to make a determination. It In this case, Pilate was determined to let him go because he found no guilt in him. And he even said that. I find no fault in this man. So the the judgment of Pilate concerning Jesus was innocence. And that is a proper judgment that a judge can make. A judge can pronounce guilt or a judge can pronounce innocence. And and here Pilate wanted to let him go because he, he saw no guilt. Well, in Acts 15... It says in um, verse 19, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. This is James speaking, and he is giving the verdict that the council, a church council, had convened to consider the the matter of the Gentiles um, should they be welcomed just like Jews and so forth? And the sentence is, my sentence is, or my judgment, the judgment of the council, that early church council was, we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned unto God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. So here... They're uh, examining a matter, and it's a matter of the law. It's a matter of the word of God. What should we do? And they make determination and, and pronounce sentence. The sentence is that which has been determined. This is what we have decided to do. In Acts 16, it says in verses 14 and 15, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now here, it's translated the same way, judged. But notice how it's being used. Lydia is saying to her fellow believers, if ye have judged me, that is, if you have considered the change in me or, or the manner of my lifestyle or my understanding of the truth and, and the things that I do in service to God, if you have discerned and seen in me 
that I am a true child of God. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then come into my house. And and, and again, here we see the word judged in a positive uh, connotation. It's used in a positive way. It could also have gone negatively. They could have judged Lydia to not be faithful as they examined her or or looked at her in this way. And yet, that tells us that this word of itself does not mean punishment. When a judgment is made, when something or someone is judged, it could be determined that the judgment is to be um, a, a right judgment. That is, when God speaks of judgment he spe- and judging men, he speaks of finding out whether they have done good or bad, whether they have done right or wrong. And that's what this word implies, that the one judging is going to make that determination, whether it's positive or negative, right or wrong, good or evil, and so forth. Now, in... Uh, Acts chapter 25, we find the Apostle Paul, and he is uh, speaking to Festus, and it says in verse 8, While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem? and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged to the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. Now in both cases, in verse 9 and verse 10, when Festus asks the question, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and be judged? He doesn't mean will you go up and be punished. He, he means, will you go up and have this matter settled before a judge, before law? And Paul responds. He understands what he was asked. And yet, of course, he doesn't want to go to Jerusalem because uh, it, it would uh, certainly be uh, not an honest uh, judgment. It would be very uh, prejudicial. So Paul... Uh, wants to go to Rome before Caesar. And he says, um, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. And again, he's not just saying, I want to go to Caesar so Caesar can have me, have me killed or throw me into prison and so I can be punished by Caesar. But the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to go to Caesar for Caesar to make the judgment and the determination of my guilt or innocence of whether I have done wrong or if I have done right and and so forth. So we, we see this is a very consistent use of this word judged. Now let, let's go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy and we looked at this um, in our last study, and in Second Timothy 4, verse 1, 
it says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ shall judge the quick and the dead. And and again, the word quick means the living, the living. And, and we saw the same thing in First Peter 4, verse 5. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? And then also in verse 6, For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And and that was one of the places we went to to show that when God uses that word dead, he oftentimes is not speaking of the physically dead, but instead the spiritually dead. And and then that made us wonder about this um, this uh, statement that that Christ comes to judge the quick and the dead. We know Christ is the judge of all the earth. We know that judgment day is a time when the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting, ruling to to judge. He he's going to pronounce judgment. And here we find uh, he's going to judge the quick and the dead. Now, the word quick is uh, a word that means to live or the living. In Matthew 22, in Matthew chapter 22, it says in verse 32, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Or we could, we could read that, but of the quick. He's not the God of the dead, but of the quick. And, and the point is that these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still live. And why do they still live? Because they were saved and given eternal life. And if you have eternal life, even if you are physically dead, you live. Well, this word living has to do with those that have eternal life. In John 11, in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, uh, we read there, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, and of course, this cannot be speaking of someone physically dead who then believes and then lives. That's impossible. But it's, it's speaking of someone spiritually dead who is granted, um, the faith of Christ and, and given um, the gift of grace to believe and and brought to spiritual life and and therefore though he were dead in trespasses and sins yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die believest thou this so you see here God is telling us if you are alive right now 
and you believe by, of course, the, the mercy and grace of God, he has done all the work in saving you, and, and, and he's given you the gift of faith so that you believe, but it's all accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet you believe, therefore, you will never die. Now that means you are the living. You are the quick. You are the one that uh, God has saved that will always live. And that really causes us to wonder, what could God have in view by this language that he's going to judge the living and the dead? And when we look up either term, when we look up living, the direction it leads to is the elect. When we look up the word dead, the direction it leads to are those spiritually dead, the unsaved. And and God bringing them together, as far as uh, speaking of Judgment Day, that it's his intention to judge the quick or the living and the dead. He's going to judge both. Oh, but that's not possible, is it? That's not possible. The elect can't be judged. We, there's no way we can be judged. We were judged in Christ from the foundation of the world. That's when we were judged. We cannot be judged again. And that's true. That's true. We were judged in Christ as Jesus took our sins upon himself and died for us. And then he rose from the dead to justify us and to... Um, really, his resurrection is our resurrection. It, it was our salvation. But the Lord Jesus died for sins at that point from the foundation of the world. And yet God had him enter into the human race in, in um, 7 BC. He was born in 33 AD. He died on the cross to demonstrate the things that he had done from that that point of the world's foundation when he was the lamb slain and and now there's language in the bible that also indicates that god will bring the elect people before the judgment seat of christ and the same word that is used of jesus that he was made manifest or or, or he came to make manifest what he had done from the foundation of the world is used in uh, association with the true believers. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says in verse 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now when we check out that pronoun we, the plural pronoun we, from the verses that are before verse 9, it's it's true believers, verse after verse, true believers. And it leads right into verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the word appear is the Greek word 5319, which is translated made manifest that has taught us what Christ did in going to the cross was a demonstration to show forth 
the reality that he experienced before the world even began, from the foundation of the world. And God uses it in connection with the true believers coming before the judgment seat of Christ. And before the judgment seat, you will be judged. That That's why you're brought before the judgment seat, to be judged. But, of course, we've been judged in the person of Jesus, as he paid for our sins. And so, now, as God's elect find themselves living on the earth in the day of judgment, the world is being judged all around us. The unsaved are being punished. They're drinking the cup of the wrath of God. And true believers are right here. We're not taken out of the world. We're right here where God the judge is judging the world. Therefore, we are before the judgment seat. And we are, as we go through this period of judgment, what is being made manifest, as we finally will come to the end. Well, what will be made manifest, if we're able to endure, that will show and indicate and reveal that we were in Christ uh, from the foundation of the world. He did die for our sins, and that's why we made it through, faithfully through, this awful, grievous, difficult time to the end, and that's why we we were able to endure to the end and and truly demonstrate our salvation that Christ wrought for us again from that beginning point of the world's foundation. And so th- this is something very interesting. Now we read that God, the Lord Jesus, at His appearing in kingdom, will judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge the living and, and the Bible tells us we, the true believers, must appear, be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. That fits together. And, and so does this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter three. And we'll have to end our study here. But in Ecclesiastes three, we read it beginning in verse 16. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.